The Rangers are going streaking! Five for five and historic perfect road trip. What more could you possibly want from this Ranger team? The boys in blue are finally coming back home. We have a ton to recap from their historic road trip, but we'll also be joined by former Ranger and special guest Dominic Moore. And he's got some great stories to tell, especially about his game winning goal in the Eastern Conference final that had a, you know, little nod to Brian Boyle. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that story. So stick with us on this episode of the Up in the Blue Seats podcast from the New York Post. And it starts right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Off a brilliant pass from Jacob Trouba. Outside Fox, quick shot, he scores! Panarin, Sabanajan, he scores! They did it! The Rangers have swept the road trip! Five for five! Mika Sabanajan wins it in overtime! We're back on the Up in the Blue Seats podcast. And uh, yeah, the boys are going streaking five in a row on the road. Hell of a road trip. And, you know, instead of recapping everything, I'm pretty sure we all know what's going on at this point. The Rangers look great. They are now 6-1 and 0 on the road. And they're coming home for some home garden cooking. And coming home is Molly Walker, as anyone who's watching the show right now can see. Molly is in between flights in the airport coming home. We're also joined by... The great Larry Brooks and, of course, Brian Boyle. And uh, yeah, listen, we're just going to get right into it because there's a lot to discuss here. Uh, first off, the boys, historic road trip, 5-0, first time ever done in Rangers history, obviously riding the backs of the goalies. Jonathan Quick, another shutout win, and his his streak is looking pretty damn good right now to five consecutive periods without a goal. And Mika with the overtime winner. But I guess first off, let's start with you, Molly. Molly, like, What's the reaction? I mean, obviously, there's so much uh, hype and excitement coming home for the boys at this point right now. Um, You know, everyone's got to be feeling pretty damn good, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I really appreciated the way Peter Laviolette uh, answered my question in his postgame interview. And same with Jacob Truba. I mean, this is an original six franchise, 97 years. To have any sort of franchise first is, uh, is pretty spectacular. Um, it was not an easy road trip, even though, you know, you could argue Edmonton, Calgary not playing their best right now. But they faced probably the toughest team of the entire trip in the final game. And they were still able to pull out the win in overtime, second overtime game in a row. Mika Zibanejad scores the second goal in as many games after going scoreless through the first six. The vibes were good in the locker room for sure. And, and I think it's not lost on this team that, you know, making franchise history is a big deal. And I was talking to Jacob Truba after the game and, and he said that that Nashville game, he didn't want to call it an eye opener, but I know he did. <laughs> he said not an eye opener, but I know it was. And they're still trying to find their identity. But I think that this trip definitely helped them work towards that a little bit more. Brian, I guess like what goes through a player's mindset when you have a five game, like especially it's such a long road trip. This is the longest road trip that the Rangers have all year. But what goes through the mindset of just, I guess, trying to stay sharp? You're constantly bouncing between different cities. You're on the road. You're away from family, away from what your home comfort is. And then to be able to pull out these victories, these overtime victories, and and keep a streak going and staying hot like that. Well, not all road trips are created equally. And when you, you're on a, a five-banger that ends up in Winnipeg, it's, it seems a little bit longer than five games. And it's like, we're here. We might as well win. And, and I think Mika said it great in the postgame on TV, on camera last night, he said, you know, we're happy to be out. Now that we won, we can say we're, we're happy to go home and they want to get back. I mean, 
It's cold up there. It's cold in Winnipeg. You're telling me. Put it well, yeah, degrees. Yeah, well, <laughs> not even Halloween yet. Well, I guess it is now. Yeah. But we guess, guess, guess who else was is uh, ready to go home. That's <laughs> this yeah. girl, right here, right here. No, Winnipeg. Winnipeg, you got the snow banks up already high. I mean, it's October. It's uh, it's the end of October. Like you would you would never know. You would never know. But no, we'll it some, was. It we'll was get some Timmy Hortons. I did this morning, actually. Oh, the French vanilla, the French vanilla coffee is is get my favorite. Timbits, though. Do you get any Timbits? Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are good too. Those are good too. You oh. should have seen the guys in the locker room last night were slamming some pizza. <laughs> A Jimmy VC sitting in his locker. <laughs> I didn't even want to go up to him and disturb him. Hey, Jimmy's a great quote, and I always like to go up and get a good quote from Jimmy. But he was he was enjoying that pizza. He earned that pizza, and I just didn't want to disrupt him. <laughs> well, they, they all did. That was something that you can say it all you want. It's never been done. Contributions from a lot of different people. I saw a stat about Mika and his one time where finally going in. It was like the most one time most one time attempts without a goal in the whole league. So to bury one, and I. I didn't score a lot of one-timers, didn't take a lot of one-timers, but when, when they go in, it's the greatest feeling. You know, so that's a great sign. It's, it really is a great sign. Now, you hope that when they get back, they recharge. That's a tough game when they come back from that road trip, especially with success. But, you know, they should be feeling good about themselves. Yeah, I actually, I saw something online. that It, it looked like Mika's game-winning one-timer went through Hellebuck. Like, it had... <laughs> Like, right? like yeah. there's just the smallest little window, but that's the thing. I I think that this Rangers team three on three, it's, it bodes well for them just with how much skill they have. And when they, I mean, the last two overtime periods, they've spent a much, I mean, I know last night was, they were on the, they were on the PK, but they spent so much time in their own end. And then the one time they get up, they score and they finish the game. So, well, I mean, not, you just, you can't argue with that. Exactly. Um, they're outshot six to two in Vancouver and, and win. And they're outshot five to one, or maybe it was the, the other way around. It was five, one and six, two in the two overtimes. They were outshot and they won the both because, you know, again, um, they are opportunistic, but Shesterkin also is, is playing at an at an elite level, his his save percentage probably is a little is a little low because he had a couple of tough games, um, and early in the season you can't make up for a bad game, but you know statistically, but he's winning games for them. That's what he did in his Vezina year. That's what he did not do for the first four months of last year. He's he's back. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, he's back to where he was. He's he's and and I think he he was back to where he was in the playoffs last year. I think, you know, the last couple of weeks of the season, um, Igor then was their best player in in the series against New Jersey, and he's and he's right back. Um, they have elite goaltending, and, and uh, you know, if, if Jonathan Quick is going to play this way, then their uh, their tandem is right at the top of the league. No question. Think about think about that for a second, though. Think about 5-1, 6-2 in shots. So, yeah, okay, 5-on-5, five five, that's whatever. It's a short period. Think about the shots taken in overtime. You know what I mean? You watch overtime and you're like, when's something going to happen? And then, because teams are waiting for a grade A. And if it'd be interesting to see goaltending save percentage in overtime, if it's different at all. And I could be talking nonsense here, but I just know that the mindset is to control the puck, control the play until you can have a a two-on-one or a grade A opportunity. And to, to hang in there and make probably four or at least five real quality saves to keep your team in it. It, it just, it shows you how, how elite that their goaltending really is. I think the other layer to this road trip that we have to point out is, you know, for as much as they might be lacking five on five offense, their special teams is going to play the way that they've been playing. Then it's clearly not that big of a deal. And actually, Brian, I, I wanted to tell you that since you said what you said about Fox and, and how I don't think he gets nearly enough love for what he does for that power play. And now three power play goals, which is a single season high for him. And we're, what is it, eight, nine games into the season. You can only imagine how many more he's going to put up. But him and Artemi, that power play does not click the way that it does without their distribution and their passes. 
And it's just been absolutely automatic. I mean, they're leading the league in five-on-three goals, which, you know, again, the opportunistic five-on-three, you have to capitalize, and they have been. As I said last week, I mean, this really is where they should be. This should, this should be an elite power play. They, they have an elite ingredients. They should be a 30% power play, you know, right around there. And that's where they are right now. And, and again, we talked about last week, they tied the game last night on a power play goal in the third period. These are the power play goals, elite power play units score, right? And the interesting thing, too, is that first unit, is on and on and on because they're just scoring goals. They are scoring goals. Could have had another one. They're not giving the second unit a chance. Well, they could have had another one too. Isn't that a power play? Could just hung on the goal line and yeah, it just wouldn't wouldn't go in. I was what is going on? But I agree. Yeah, what do you and what do you do if you're Lavi? You got to put him back out there. It's just so dangerous. Yeah, the other coach is saying stay out of the box. That's all he's saying. Right. Give him one. Give him two. Maybe three. And we might be able to frustrate. But here are the stats. Eight goals in the first nine games on the power play. Eight goals in the first nine games, at least. Eleven power play goals, the third most in the NHL. You, you guys talked about Foxy and 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 um, Artemi, but Chris Kreider leads the league with his fourth power play goal this season against the Jets. And he's also one away from tying Andy Bathgate uh, for the most in franchise history, or one goal away from. He's the best in the world at what he does. And he, you know, he simply is. And, and that's why I always laugh when I see these projected Team USA rosters for a tournament in 2024, 2025, and Kreider is not on the list. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, he's he's in my net front guy. I don't care. He's he's on the power play for Team USA. But put him again, anywhere. You can put him in any spot. Skill. And you could play him anywhere at 5 And you could play him anywhere. Yeah. He's still, he's still a machine. He's a big, strong man. Those are always fun. Those are fun. A lot of those teams, Larry, are what like the the kids have put on there. My my son will go up and throw it on his Xbox, EA Sports. Yeah. Those those Team USA teams. We we know that. And ho- hopefully, whoever's running the best on best for USA knows that as well and makes the right informed decisions. There's a couple of guys that I know are always on those lists that I just shake my head. No, there's no way. Just what they'll get exposed. So the boys come home this week. Molly, obviously, you'll be back. Uh, you know, hopefully you don't have any uh, travel issues uh, coming home as you did before. Uh, but looking, uh, taking a quick look ahead, we got the uh, the hurricane coming up on uh, on the second. Yeah, Minnesota on the fourth. Um, is it is it tough coming off of a road trip when you have such a high like that? You're 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 riding a five game win streak, and then you come home. It, it, should it be easy going for the guys? You, it's just easy to kind of get back in your own bed, get back into your your own rink, um, or is there a, a sense of pressure now? You're coming off of a hot road trip, and now it's like, all right, let's perform in front of the the Garden Faithful. I definitely think that it was an emotional road trip for sure, and they are probably coming off a high, but they'll have the day. Today, what is today? Tuesday? They'll have Tuesday. <laughs> Seriously, I don't even know what day it is, what time zone I'm in. Don't don't ask me. They'll have the day Tuesday. They'll practice Wednesday. And I think that practice will be really important. And I just feel like Peter LaViolette is the kind of guy that, you know, with his pulse on the team, whatever he says to them in their group huddles at the end of the morning skates and stuff, that'll definitely help. But I also think it's not lost on this group that, this game on Thursday is the biggest test of the season thus far. 110%. That is a, a statement game that is coming up on the schedule. You know, the Hurricanes are a deadly team, but I think it's it's definitely a big game. And, and I think that that's, that's something that they know. And I feel like, you know, obviously winning is fun and they're having a good time and they want to keep going on that. So Trubo talking about them finding their identity. Thursday is definitely an identity game for sure. Canes are six and four sitting in second behind the Rangers with 12 points so far. So yeah, it'll definitely be a test. Brian, you're shaking, you know, no, it's just no. historically. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Histor- historically, it's really hard. And then you think of, you know, I don't think Carolina's wins losses wise exactly where they want to be. Everybody's been picking them to win a cup for the last three years. It seems like they're going to be licking their chops and coming back East always takes a couple days. Molly made a great point. Like, practice would you say tomorrow that's going to be big and you kind of have to give your you got to push it and it might only be 40 minutes but you got to really push it and feel awful have a bad practice whatever 
get the get the lungs going, try and kind of recalibrate because those are really hard games when you're coming back and whatever you feel comfortable or you're back in there, you feel like you just had some time off after you, you know, accomplished something and they didn't accomplish anything really, but they did. They did what they had to do. They can come in and get ready. It just shows a lot about, I mean, because physically it's a, a disadvantage, 100%. And I don't know, I don't know, Philly wasn't out West. They're, they're, they're uh, sorry, they played Philly last night, I think. And they're, so Carolina's not out West. They are in, you know, they're in this time zone. They're, they're kind of rolling along. It's, they're already kind of up in this climate where they want to be. They'll be ready to play, especially knowing what the Rangers have just done. And they're an in-your-face team. They play really fast. It's really, you're not going to get anything for free from them. And that's, it's going to be a challenge. If they can, if they can get up and get ready for that challenge and find a way to win a game, even if it's ugly, that's a big step for them mentally. That's a big step in the room. Guys can look around and say, we got something going here. Well, we know Laviolette only runs hard practices. That's a, that's a tempo baby. (laughs) Pump the legs, as he says. That is a guaranteed. There is no worry about that, that he will run them on Wednesday. I have no doubt. You know the boys, they'll be up and ready for it, I'm sure. Uh, One last thing before we get to our guest, Dom Moore. It's kind of diverting from the Rangers a little bit, but it's a large topic in hockey. And uh, the fact that we have a former player here, we have Larry, who's watched years of of hockey, and Molly, um, so close, spends so much time with the Rangers itself. Um, I just want to bring up the Adam Johnson uh, tragedy, unfortunately. And for those who aren't aware... Um, Adam played 13 games in the NHL with the Penguins and, um, he was playing in, uh, the England, um, English hockey league, um, uh, with the Nottingham Panthers. And there was a situation on ice and on ice collision and his neck, uh, was slashed. And unfortunately, um, he lost his life and, um, it's it's such a tragedy and, and unfortunate situation. And especially cause he was such a young age and still playing the game. Um, but it brings up a subject that I want to get your guys' opinions on, and it's something that the English Ice Hockey Association, they've already mandated, and that's wearing a neck guard um, to prevent, you know, these kind of tragedies, anything sort of happening like this. And look, hockey is such a fast-paced game with such high-impact velocities that, you know, it, it, I'm not saying it's amazing that, does, that something like this doesn't happen more often, um, and thank God it doesn't happen more often, but... Um, is this something that you could see in terms of the NHL possibly putting a mandate into where neck guards? I know players are already starting to do it. We saw some of the Penguins do it um, as is, and there's talk about it. And other players have come out and said it wouldn't shock them if the NHL puts a mandate in. But I just want to get your guys' opinions on uh, the NHL possibly uh, making this a new mandate to wear these neck guards. Well, this would you know this would have to be collectively bargained with, with the Players Association and. I, I would expect that that over the course of time that neck guards will will be mandated, but I think it probably would be a, a process over a number of years where players are grandfathered in, you know, players of a certain age or you know, certain year or certain games of experience are mandated to wear or are mandated to wear it, but others have a choice the same way it was with helmets the same way it was with visors. Um, I think, you know, like you think about how difficult it was to get the union to agree to mandate visors, even after there were serious eye injuries um, and how how many players were stubborn and, and didn't wear visors. Now I think there are fewer than six in the league who don't wear visors. Um, and, you know, like, you know, my grandson is 12. He would never even think about going onto the ice without a helmet, you know, without a visor. He wears he wears a neck guard because it's mandated. And I would expect that he would want to wear, a man, you know, a neck guard for the rest of his career. So I, I, I think eventually it'll happen. But I, I think it'll be a process where um, it's collectively bargained and, and the Players Association generally takes a little bit of time to come around to safety issues. Brian, you're, you you've obviously been in the middle of these conversations before. So what do you think? As a guy who wouldn't, like, I didn't put the, the shield on my helmet uh, because I, I honestly truly believed it made it. Uh, I was in more danger because I sweat so much. I couldn't see. Uh, I am a hundred percent on board if, if they do another survey and, and they, so they did a survey, the USA hockey and Michael, Dr. Michael Stewart, he did it with the, with the face shields 
and he's done it with the neck guards as well. And it's interesting with certain neck guards, there's there's some science behind that it could potentially make it worse. The, the floating neck guard that you just strap on and off. Now, in uh, two years ago, uh, two seasons ago, a kid in Connecticut passed away from getting cut in a high school game. And I immediately went to Pure Hockey and bought the long sleeve Bauer, you know, full on uh, undershirt with the neck guard attached to it that went all the way up pretty much right under my son's ear at the time. Now he's grown. I thought maybe I need to get a couple more, just have one, wash one. And it's a pain in the neck, um, but he's young. So it doesn't get that, that dirty, I guess. But this weekend, uh, TJ Oshie's war road cut proof wrist and neck shirt sold out 200 bucks a whack, which is a lot, I think in my opinion, but worth every penny. If you're a parent, I didn't look at it like, oh, I got away with this, that, that could have happened to me. I, I just immediately thought about my son. It's funny because I gave it to him and the first day he wore it, he loved it. And then every single time after, there's been time where it's, it's wet and he has another like a CCM regular undershirt with his team logo on it that's great. I'm like, wear that. No, I got to wear my neck guard. And I was the opposite. I hated the neck guard. It choked me. I don't wear a mouth guard. I hated all that stuff. So if they can do more research on it, they can make more products and more affordable ones as well. Um, but I understand it's probably not cheap to make. It's definitely something that I would 100% back. And I do that by having it for my son. I don't skate that much anymore. Another coach on our team texted us, said I'm $200 in the hole before I even left the rink because my wife made me buy one for my son. And then he told us the next day he was actually 400 because his wife made him buy one for himself too for his once a week men's league. So it's it's unlikely, obviously. It's a very low percentage. Why would you risk it? It's a dangerous game. I did not, to be honest, I did not like the hit. A uh, man lost his life. Thought it was sort of a reckless play. Um, I'd have to watch it again in more detail before I, I don't know. It was just, it's hard. And everybody involved is, it's devastating. It's awful. To his family, my deepest condolences and sympathies. And and to, you know, to the guy on the other side too, same thing. I mean, it's, that's a lot to take on and to live with. I'm sure it's just devastating for, for everyone, both teams the league. Um, you go over there, a lot of guys go over there to get their masters. It's just, it's terribly sad. And I mean, you can just, that's all it is. It's terribly, terribly sad. And if you can avoid it with a piece of equipment, hundred percent, you got to do it. Yeah. I, I run around the Rangers yesterday, staff and, and players alike, and guys are rattled. Guys are really, really rattled while the Rangers, you know, they're obviously, they were in the middle of a road trip. So there have not been any official conversations about you know doing it as a team or you know anything like that because they were busy with the trip but it was a topic of conversation in the rangers room amongst the players 100 percent. guys are thinking about it it's obviously a change you know in your routine what you're comfortable with what you're wearing and stuff but i mean a lot of the guys and i actually had one player who was generous enough to show it to me because obviously i've never worn this equipment in my life but i mean they already have a lot of them already wear cut resistant wrist guards and ankle guards, you know, that just cover the exposed areas that the equipment don't. And it's, I touched it. It's like a compression, you know, tight. It feels like a sock almost like a compression sock. I mean, from what I touched, you know, it felt like it, it should be relatively comfortable. I'm sure the neck is, is a little bit different, but I mean, it's definitely something that a lot of guys in the room were thinking about. Um, I saw that uh, I saw online that that Bill Daly uh, and Gary Bettman have been in communication with Marty Walsh, and it sounds like the NHL um, is definitely pushing for there to be a net guard mandate because you know, obviously, it doesn't matter what league it happens in; it's always absolutely horrible and, and an absolute tragedy. But obviously, the NHL is looking at this situation, and you know thinking to themselves, why would we, you know, want to put ourselves in a position where it could be one of our players, you know? So I definitely wouldn't be surprised if this, uh, because it becomes a thing. Um, but like Larry said, it will have to be a collective, collective bargaining agreement. Um, everybody's going to have to be on board with it, but I can't imagine why anybody wouldn't after how rocked the hockey world has been this past weekend. So yeah, to echo Brian, just, absolute most sincere condolences to everybody affected in this. It was just an absolutely horrible, horrible situation. Yeah, Molly, I wore those. I wore the wrist ones and uh, lots of guys threw those threw those on their feet after uh, the Matt Cook, uh, Eric Carlson situation where Eric lost most of his Achilles. Um, 
so so people it doesn't affect your mobility if it doesn't affect your mobility or your vision guys are going to do it the, the, if they got the if they got the shields passed through my guess would be that you're going to see everybody wearing them maybe not maybe not next week but i think guys are going to buy in and most guys have a shirt on underneath you change it you'll have three or four of them for the season and but again those the ones that are attached to a shirt almost like a turtleneck have have proven in, in terms of injury or if you're wearing a neck guard and you get something near your neck they prevented injury better than just the floating and i just want people to understand that and know that because sometimes just the floating neck guard can in fact make it worse i mean i don't know if you guys remember but i was covering the islanders I think it was the 2020-21 season. They had three separate incidents with skate lacerations. Casey Zizekas, Cal Clutterbuck, to his wrist, he missed 30 games for that. And Johnny Boychuk, straight down the face. And I remember, I I mean, I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story. I mean, we wrote about it, but I remember Cal Clutterbuck, his first media availability... He handpicked the three reporters that he was comfortable with being in the room, and I was grateful enough to be one of them. And he came out and he spoke so candidly about how traumatizing the experience was and how he will never be the same player again because of it. He was so rattled. It, I can't even imagine what, like, it literally makes me shiver what that sort of experience would be like. But I would imagine that players like that, I mean, Johnny Boychuk is is such a a lively, happy-go-lucky person that, of course, when I spoke to him about his incident, he's making me laugh, telling me about how his facial recognition on his iPhone didn't recognize him because his face was so busted up. Mangled. But that's Johnny Boychuk. But I remember Cal, oh, God, he was just so, his whole demeanor, he was just so violently uncomfortable with even reliving the experience with us and talking about it that I can't imagine that guys that have had that experience wouldn't, you know, come out and, and, you know, say, guys, we need to, we need to do this. This is for our betterment. And we just need to, the guys that don't want to do it just need to suck it up. It's better than bleeding out on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. We, we never want to see that kind of tragedy in the NHL. And again, offer our deepest condolences to the Johnson family. All right. So coming up next, we have former Ranger great Dominic Moore. And uh, you're going to hear some pretty cool stories. All that and more coming up next on Up in the Blue Seats. Defended away by Markov, and then it's McDonough. Got it along the boil. Oh, the sweet sounds of Doc Emmerich. What an amazing call for such an iconic goal. And speaking of that iconical, let's bring in the guy who scored it. He was drafted 93rd overall by the Rangers in the 2000 NHL draft, played in 897 career NHL games, and scored 106 career goals during his time in the league. He was also named the 2013-14 Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy winner, only one of five Rangers to be bestowed such that honor. He scored the game-winning goal in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals, as you just heard, in 2014 to help send the boys in blue to the Stanley Cup Finals. And he retired after the 2017-18 season with the Toronto Blue Jays, and now you can find him on ESPN giving all that hockey breakdowns and such. It's none other than Ranger great Dominic Moore. Dom, we're so glad that you're able to join us today. How's everything going? Thank you for having me. I should mention we have another Masterton winner on this podcast, and we also have a, a Hall of Fame honoree. And I should add the person responsible, one of the people responsible for nominating the Masterton, you know, nominees. So uh, grateful to our co-hosts here as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so there's there's a lot of different ways we could start here. But I mean, one of the ones that at least I personally as a Ranger fan would love to start with is the game-winning goal in Game 6. And, I mean, it, it's only appropriate that we also have Brian Boyle here, which anyone who's seen that play, and I've watched it enough times, I'm sure many Ranger fans have seen it enough times, uh, Brian sets you up on that play there. So can you take me through, you know, that game-winning goal? Obviously, th- that was your third chance um, trying to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. And the fact that it was you to put him ahead and that was the only goal needed, you know, it, does that play still run through your head? Does that moment still go there? Like, like how, how did all that go down in your mind? You know, it's, uh, it's something that Boiler and I love to, to, to talk about. Um, we, 
you know, going back earlier in that in that very season, I remember uh, Alain Vigneault had given a team a speech where he talked about that we had three good lines. And Boiler and I looked at each other and said, okay, <laughs> you know, thanks for that shout out. Uh, you know, basically uh, acknowledging that we weren't part of the team. Uh, so <laughs> Boiler and I, you know, we had made it our mission to make an impact uh, you know, with limited opportunity to do our job well, to, to, to do our defensive role. Well, we had meshed well, uh, on and off the ice. We enjoyed playing together. We enjoyed, uh, talking about all matter of things. And so I think it just, you saw that come together in the playoffs. And so I think that goal means a lot, uh, to me, you know, because of the camaraderie we had, you know, we had, uh, Derek Dorsett, you know, and we had a, a couple different wingers that were with us at various times, but Boyer and I were together for most of that that year. That memory, the electricity in the building is something I'll never forget. I mean, you know, conference final, that game of that magnitude, Montreal Canadiens, uh, 20 years removed from 94. Uh, all of that was not lost on us and the margins were so small and yeah, in terms of the specific memories of that goal, it's actually funny. Someone sent me this since we have this on video. This is a coaster. I don't know if you can see, but it has like the 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 whole play drawn up. And so you see Boiler behind the net there. I just tried to get lost. You know, I Mac had come down and pinched down and kept the play alive. I tried to get lost on the weak side there, and fortunately uh it worked out kind of the guy covering me kind of lost his focus a little bit and then i was able to time it well but the play from from boiler was incredible like kind of a no look play he knew uh before he got the puck um what his options were and if he didn't you know that extra second he would have taken to figure it out it just the play would have broken down so an exceptional play uh and playmaker uh from from boiler there and that was all we needed to to get into the the finals. I actually I have I actually had a question for for you two guys. Um, you had five centers on that team, right? I mean, Stepan, Broussard, you, and Brad Richards, and it, it was interesting because I've been looking back at this. There are a number of times I've looked back at it, but Richie actually was on the wing for the first couple of months of the season. And you two guys both were in the middle. And then at, at some point, maybe in late November, December, you wound up together on the fourth line with either Dorset or then later Carcillo came over and was one of the two. But I'm but I was wondering, did AV leave it up to you to decide who was going to play the middle, who was going to play the wing? Or did he did he tell you, Don, you're in the middle, Brian, you're moving to the wing. This is how we're doing it. Or was it just how how your comfort zone was? How do you remember that, Boiler? I don't, actually. I, I assumed I was on the wing. I think he just probably put it on a board. I don't think he, uh, I don't think yeah. he took that much time. Yeah. I think one day the lines were what they were. And yeah. I just remember, I don't know who started the conversation, but it, it, we, it probably was short, too, because we understood, you know, if I'm back first, I'm just going to play low for a while until we could switch it out. Yeah, And you could be as aggressive as you wanted on a face-off if we got kicked out. The next guy was going to come in and probably win it. We were both, I think, mid 50% anyway. I think it was, we meshed really well. I mean, and, you know, from Larry's point, what we we played together for almost the whole year. And I don't know a year. I mean, one year, the year with Fedotenko and Prust, we played a lot together uh, yeah. prior to Dom getting there under torts. And those are the only two years I pretty much had, I knew who I was playing with. And it was Prusty and then it was Dom. Like, I was just... That was in, and it showed, I think, as the year progressed. Now, I want to say one thing about the goal. <laughs> I hung behind the net because there was like a trust factor on who was out there, right? We had Mac out there. It was probably, was Danny G out there too? I don't have the coaster in front of me. Uh, who right, who's yes. the right team? Girardi was, was staying put right up near the blue line as he so, should have been. And, yeah. and exactly. So, and, and it just went into like Mac knew to go down because he knew someone was covering for him, being dumb. I'm hanging behind the net because Max going down in the corner, and if he's going down, I know he's getting the puck because he he's not going to go down if he's not. He's such a smart player. And then to Dom's point, I did get it and kind of spawned on my backhand and threw it out front. But and we've talked about the Garden Heist before. Dom's 
the ability to catch that pass, if he missed it, it was not a flat pass. I'm going to say that very clearly. Him handling it prevented probably a two or three on one going the other way because that was, I gave it some, I put some stake on it and he handled it and scored. But there was a trust factor there, I think from all five guys. And we were wearing him down for a while on that shift. So I said, we might as well take the chance. And he was right where he had to be. And, and, I remember like I've seen the celebration and I was just kind of like slowly moseying over, looking around, taking it in because I was like, I can't, I can't believe that worked out. Cause it seemed like we worked so hard all year and didn't get a whole lot of show for it in terms of uh, offensive contributions. And then in the playoffs, it's, it's sort of turned for us. And it was just a, uh, a complete combination of all the, talks we had when we were in the Knicks room trying to motivate ourselves before the game. You know, I try to tell people, but those things do matter. And getting to know Dom and trying to figure out each other and how we played and, and really Dom said it, he was like, we're trying to squeeze a dollar out of a nickel. He said it three or four times over the course of a year and it couldn't have been more true. And and we needed that. I think you need that kind of depth for teams to advance. I mean, on paper by then, four teams left, everybody's just as good. Yeah. And you need other guys to make a difference. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting that that you know to hear what Av said. We've got uh, three good lines, um, but he always talked in the playoffs. And 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 listen, maybe it was because it was what he thought he should have said. You never really quite know. But he always talked about how important it was to have a you know to be a four line coach. And I remember there were some years like, like I think. The next year, when you were Dom, I'm looking at you when when you were when you were getting like four minutes a game. It was sort of like, well, what happened to the four line coach? You know, um, but but every coach, it's true. Every coach likes to be thought of as a four line coach. There, you you will never you you're there are so few coaches who will come out and say, yeah, I just ride my nine guys. I just ride my nine guys, or you know, I'm riding my six. Now, Torts did. Um, you know, he he certainly did, and and I think to a fault in the 11-12 playoffs, I think. But most coaches want to be known as four-line coaches. I'd say that's mostly true. I, I don't say that's true across the board, though. I think especially in this day and age with the cap being what it is, I think yeah. you see a lot of teams trying to really load up on three lines and, you know, just have the the fourth line be kind of forgotten. But I think you're – I think you're seeing the teams that have success don't approach it that way. Uh, you know, Vegas is the most recent example, but maybe the perfect example. I mean, they blew everybody away uh, because of their depth. And every single line could play offensively. Every single line could hold hem teams in on the forecheck. Uh, and it reminded me of the of the impact that we had. I mean, let's, let's remember, like, A.V., despite what what his comment was, he used us to shut down Crosby. You know, yeah. that, that was our role. Um, so that's a big responsibility. And we, we did it not by just playing defensive hockey. We did it by, by being aggressive. We did it by, by playing offense. Um, like Boiler said, there was a trust factor. And, and Brooksy, to your point, having two centers on the line, and Brian alluded to it too, we, we, could, we could be more aggressive because we we knew that I had full confidence in Brian playing low and and protecting ourselves in the D zone and and vice versa. I've been on a lot of lines, you know, before that and since since that that I, I just didn't have that trust. So I couldn't afford to to be as aggressive up ice mm-hmm. to to get in and try to break up plays. And I think that's how you create those opportunities. And and Boiler, you know, to your point about the the playoffs, we finally broke through. I think that's how it often happens. The margins are so small. The games depend on these little details that when you're bleeding a dollar out of a nickel, the way we, we had, that, that was our attitude and our mentality. Well, then you get good at playing games like that. And so to me, it's no coincidence that that's the way it played out. Yeah, I agree more. I Man, it was fun. Those games are fun. Like because of the grind of playoffs, it seemed like we were counted on more. We would get more shifts. They might have been 25 seconds, but he's trying to get everyone involved. And we're just like, this is great. We get to play a little bit more. You know, you're not expected to score, you know, every period as a line. If if we hold serve sometimes or we have tough matchups, like against a Crosby, 
And we have a couple zones in the in their end. The whole team got lifted up. We fed off that. I thought that was that was the best. That whole playoff run, so many memories. And, and Dom and I've talked about it a lot. Like the the Philly series was such a grind. Yeah. And it was even harder when Dom tackled me after he scored that big goal. <laughs> there are a few. Pull up a photo of that. It was amazing. <laughs> I got trucked. I had to go to the dark room after that. But it was so well, fun. Just well, let me ask you. I I don't I don't remember uh, the the next year. Um, when Brian was in Tampa, did you guys ma- did were you matched against each other in that series a lot? Was Brian on the wing? I I, I don't I don't. Um, I was playing center with um, I was playing center with Brendan Morrow, and pretty much that's it. I think we went eleven and seven a lot. And Coop was trying to right. mix it up, yeah. and I had a back injury where I had I had to get an injection. I missed game one of that series. Dom actually mm-hmm. scored. So yeah. I came in and shut Dom down. That's what we'll see. <laughs> yeah, okay. Although <laughs> those games are wild too. Like we'd eke one out and then they blow the doors off of us. It was it was it was as strange a series as I've seen. Honestly, you know the, the Rangers would go yeah. down there, score six, score seven, score yeah. six, and then they'd be they, they were shut out in games five and seven. They lost the last three at home. It, it was you know, and and looking at it from you know from my perspective, yes, losing. Losing the conference finals to New Jersey in 12 was d- disappointing. Losing the finals in 14 was disappointing. But to me, like losing that series in 15 was just um, um, a mystery. And I know and I know their guys were banged up, but every team has bang- has players banged up. It was just so strange the way the series went. You know, they'd, they'd score six down there, they'd get shut out. They'd score six down there, they'd get shut out. Very, very, very strange. I agree with you. That one is the hardest one for me looking back on to swallow. I just felt like we were, we had every opportunity and we just, I don't know what it was about. We kind of let our foot off the gas or certain change in mentality from game to game and um, left it on the table there. So that's definitely with all the the great memories that we had um, that 2015 one felt like we left something on the table there for sure. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the past Rangers, let's take a quick look at the current Rangers. And, you know, one of the things we've been talking about in the show so far is the five game road winning streak. The first time in franchise history um, that that's happened. Dom, I'm just kind of curious, what's your take on the current state of the Rangers team from what you've seen from an outsider? Obviously, being a former blue shirter yourself, um, it's it's got to be pretty impressive, especially coming from a new head coach with Peter Laviolette taking the squad over um, and having the boys playing well so far. Yeah, they look great. I mean, I, I liked the moves that were made over the summer. I, I liked the, you know, I think I think it was the right time to bring in uh, Laviolette. I think he's, you know, his experience and the pedigree that he brings and the, the, the style that he likes to coach, I think, was was really suited to where the Rangers are at in terms of their expectations uh, and development. Um, so I thought that was a really shrewd move. it's such a different thing when you get to the conference finals and then the expectations change. Um, And I think you saw that that changed, I think the mentality in the group, just that little bit uh, last year and, and those subtle changes have a big difference. And so once you, once you go through that rebuild and now you start to be one of the, the, you know, big teams on campus, well, you have to learn how to handle being in that position. You have to lo- learn how to handle those expectations. And it's a long year. Uh, I think, you know, the road wins in particular are a great sign out of the gate because I think when you when you have some tough road trips to start the season, it's often a good way to get those early challenges in, and they've responded well. Never been done. I can't – I mean, it's – I didn't expect – and we were talking earlier about the odds for them to – to win last night in Winnipeg and they were heavily favored. I, I just, I can't believe what they're doing. They're getting great production from everybody, including, you know, Jonathan quick, who is, oh, it's a small sample size, but if they can give him more games, we talked about this. Uh, this is a scary team in that division. I mean, I think I said in the next few years, I think Jack Hughes can win a heart trophy. He could win it this year because the devils are somewhat scary, but I think they're hardened. And like you said, Dom getting through this, was a huge test for them and they passed with flying colors. I think they have great depth. I think they have the pieces, how you want to assemble it on the back end for D. I really do. I love their D and they're guys that I think can play even better on the back end. And then, you know, it starts and ends with goaltending. I said it last uh, episode as well. And if you're getting, if you're getting 
vintage Jonathan Quick for spot duty, I mean, they're going to rack it up. They're going to they're going to run away with. Uh, well, we'll see. Well, they're going to get a lot of points. It's very early, but they have guys going, and they just and they have other guys that need to get going, and they're still piling up wins. To me, what's what's impressive about about their start is that they're they're winning games almost against type that you know they're not you know they're they're not a run and gun let's create let's go east west let's score all these pretty goals they're you know they're not that now you know they are trying to play a neutral zone system um they're they're not creating very much five on five but they're giving up almost nothing five on five and so they're allowing now their their power play which should be which should be a top unit group in the NHL is an elite group. And so they're, you know, they're getting good goaltending. They're getting great production on their power play. I think Panarin is playing as well as he has, but, and, you know, Kreider on the power play, of course, Adam Fox is playing great, but you take a look at other guys and you say, well, he's only got one goal. He's got none. He doesn't have any at five on five. And yet they're winning because they're, they're (laughs) winning more, because of their structure, because of their buy-in, because of their attention to detail, instead of just beating you on talent, and I and I think that's that's an interesting development for this team. That goes yeah, a long they, way with me. That's that team that made the fourteen finals, right? Who was our leading scorer? Zook. Yeah, right. Sixty-one points, maybe. Right. Right. No, I think it's. I mean, there's two seasons, right? There's there's the regular season, mm-hmm. and then there's the playoffs, and. I think a lot of teams get confused and they're having a ton of success and then they get surprised in the playoffs when it doesn't work out. And that's one thing that I think you, you got to build it all season long to get where you want to be as a playoff style team. And that to me is five on five depth, uh, you know, defensive tight, tight, tight games like that, because you can't rely on, you know, run and gun when push comes to shove and, and the margins get smaller uh, it certainly helps uh, w- when you face a New Jersey in the playoffs and you, you're able to play that kind of like, you know, stingy, stingy style of game and be, be at ease with it. Well, you develop that over the course of the season. And if you have the ace in the hole uh, in Shesterkin, then that's your advantage over the opposition. Uh, and if you, you have that kind of finishing talent, then that's your advantage over the opposition. But I don't think you want to be reliant on your power play. Uh, when it comes to the playoffs, because we we see over and over again that in game sixes and sevens, there maybe maybe one power play in the whole game. So uh, I think that's a, a crucial thing to develop it early. And I think that's partly where, again, the value from uh, Peter Laviolette comes in. Well, it'll certainly be something to keep watching for the rest of the season. Don, we know that uh, you've got a tight schedule as well, so we appreciate you coming on. But before we let you go, I know, again, you've been retired since the 2017-18 season, and we have Boiler over here who's, you know, fresh into retirement here. Any sort of advice that you can have for Brian, uh, just just, just as, as someone that's that's been out of the game for a few years now and, uh, you know, kind of fully into the media stream, which Brian is, is getting there at this point. <laughs> he doesn't need my advice. Brian is an incredibly smart guy, incredibly articulate, um, great communicator, character person. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, it's awesome to see him getting his feet wet in these different things that he's going to get himself involved in. But whatever he does, he'll do an exceptional job. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about how when you change careers and then have more kids, change careers and have three more little babies, see how that works out. Maybe not the <laughs> smartest guy, but really nice to see you, Dom. Really appreciate your, your time. only your only mistake night. right now is the Tampa Bay poster in the Rangers. Listen, ah. I told you I don't have five minutes to decorate. <laughs> I got t- <laughs> I only have two jerseys up, and one's an All Star game, and uh, the other ones are our Cup, our home blue Stanley Cup final patch jersey from the Rangers. Uh, those are the two jerseys that that are framed as well. It's just not in here. It's down in the it's down in the, the gym. other room. Yeah, <laughs> down in the gym, man. My daughter, I played for 10 teams, but my daughter, she has a Ranger jersey. So that's uh, that's the way it is in our house. Yeah, My son's a fan of two teams, so I bet you can guess who they are. <laughs> the Red Sox and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
We appreciate you coming on, Don. And listen, uh, be sure to catch him on ESPN, given all the great analysis. And uh, hopefully we'll have it back on later in the year. We can talk about the boys in blue and uh, hope you have a good rest of the season. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, everyone wants to go home, and, um, but we, we were determined to finish it off in, in, the, in the right way, and I thought we did. And that'll put a bow on episode 130 of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Before we get out of here, we got to give out some stars of the week. Brian, who's your number one star of the week? I'm going Mika. He busts through with a one T. Finally, I mean, the stat was he led the league in one T's without a goal, and he blasts one through this week. That's a big, that's a big goal for him. That feeling is unlike any other feeling. Some goals feel different, and that's that's one of them. But he needs to continue. Obviously, playing at that level, scoring goals because that's they're gonna need they're gonna need a lot of goals. Maybe some five on five goals too. Let's get that thing going. <laughs> It'd be nice to see that eventually. Yeah, I mean, I'm not yeah. complaining. Goals and goals are in general are fine with me. But nitpicking here, nitpicking. Yeah, these are good things to nitpick about. Uh, second star, I'm going to take uh, Keandre Miller. And look, he's been a topic of discussion on here. Uh, he was a, a topic of a fan question last week, which I know you love, Brian. Uh, but love fan he, question. But yeah, the I love him. I do. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Uh, and and there were some pretty good YouTube comments about that too. So you know, uh, but but. <laughs> Keandre had the OT winner uh, in Vancouver. Look, he's coming on strong, man. And um, again, it's something that you need to see from him. Everyone expecting him to to keep growing and get better. And um, I can only imagine doing, you know, getting a game-winning goal like that. That's exactly the mentality that you want to be in, uh, you know. And and it's it's, it's good to see. Plus, it kept the win streak at four games. And we need a third star. We don't have Molly here in Portland. Quickie. She's, she's, yeah, you know what? Yeah, there you go. Let's do a shout out. A consensus third star, Jonathan Quick. How, how, how can you not? We talked about this earlier on in the podcast uh, a few episodes ago. The preseason didn't look great, but now he's got five straight periods without allowing a goal. I mean, a backup goalie's not bad, right, bro? Any goalie. That's vintage quickie. I mean, that's that's insane depth, and he'll keep it going because he's uh, he's a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. So enjoy it. He's back home. He's kicking. Kicking for the blue shirt. I love it. It's awesome. And it's crazy because I was looking up the stats, too, and the goalie stats. And granted, it's only been three. He's only had three starts so far, but he leads in, like, save percentages. And, you know, he looks good. So hopefully hopefully that boy keeps up. Boy looks good. Yeah. All right. So big time thanks to Dominic Moore for joining us today. And as always, many thanks to you, Jake Brown, for producing the show. Uh, you can catch up on all episodes of the podcast by subscribing to Up in the Blue Seats on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you get your podcast. And if you're watching this right now, now on the New York Post Sports YouTube page. Give us a thumbs up. Comment below and, um, you know, how hype does this Ranger road winning streak have you feeling? I mean, I'm, I know I'm feeling pretty good and we got a big week of games coming up. So uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. X, you know, Molly Walker. That's two E's, two R's and Brian at Browse 22 uh, we'll be back next week for Brian Boyle, Larry Brooks, Molly Walker. I'm Andrew Hartz. Uh, we'll talk to you then and uh, LGR, and we'll see where things go. Thanks for listening. It's up in the blue seats. Let's do that hockey.